Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In this podcast, we chat about the defeat to Preston, review our season, and answer your podcast questions. This is the Bora Breakdown Podcast, and this is all your Bora Master Chatter in a pod. Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Welcome to the Borough Breakdown podcast, the season review show with Johnny Denner and Tom. And we are the Borough podcast that gives you all of your Borough match day chatter in a podcast. And well, Borough's season finished very disappointingly indeed with a 4-1 defeat at Preston. Uh, the defeat saw Mills were finished in seventh place on 70 points. Guys, all the dust is settled. I want you to describe how you're feeling in as many words as you can describe Dana, do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, in regards to the season as a whole, I have been pleasantly surprised with the the change around and what Chris Wilder has brought to the side and to the club. And we've seen a platform of promise now that makes next season all the more exciting. And yes, it was a really disappointing defeat yesterday at Deepdale. But, you know, I, I said this after the game, actually, that it's the most calm I've been after a 4-1 defeat, you know, it's never nice to see your team go down like that. But at the same time, as I said, there's just so much to be excited for next season. And um, I'm really looking forward to the rebuild and what Chris Wilder could do with a full season under his belt. Okay, Tom, are you echoing Dana's thoughts there? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I just had a very different answer just after the game yesterday, but uh, I haven't (laughs) calmed down uh, now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really kind of a, a start. To, to something new um, and into like the next couple of years. So, yeah, it's disappointing that the season ended the way it did. Um, you know, r- really disappointing result yesterday. But after, you know, the rebuild in the summer, we're, we're hopefully going to have a, a much better season next season. It's just I'm impatient and I want to say that now. So... <laughs> I like how you I like how you're quoting high school musical there uh, by saying start something new as well. Um <laughs> didn't even realise, but one for you there, Dana. Nice to be to catch on. 
But I, I echo both of your, your points. I think yesterday was really poor in terms of performance-wise, but the bigger picture, yeah, I think that future is just so bright. And I think uh, Chris Wilder's press conference afterwards, which we'll come on to in, in a second, was it fills me with optimism and knowing that we're in the right direction. Everyone is on board with Chris Wilder as manager. And I think that we, apart from like yesterday and a couple of defeats out the season, we all know that there's there's just something bubbling under under the surface, and I feel like next season we could be having a completely different review show. Um, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, it could be celebrating a promotion. Uh, now that we've jinxed it, it'll be a relegation one. Um, but let's <laughs> look uh, let's look back uh, to Preston then, um, and we'll move on to our review stuff in in just a moment. But we were so optimistic going into the game yesterday, but then Chef United thumped Fulham. Luton were gifted uh, a, a winner, um, and then Borod's didn't turn up. Uh, Dana, so what went wrong for Bora yesterday? We just chalked under the pressure of a do-or-die game, unfortunately. And I have to say, Preston were good. Let's give them credit. Their game plan was was fantastic and, and very effective as well. They <clears throat> caused us all sorts of problems, really. They had situations where one of the strikers, and it was usually Emil Reese, would peel off, um, or sorry, he would split off uh, Archer, go out wide, the centre midfielder would do the same, joining the wing back, and then we'd have 3v3. Um, it would pull Crooks and Tav out to the wide, and then there would be so much space through the middle, and Hauser was getting exposed because of that. And because of that, they were able to pick us off pretty much everywhere. Um, and we play with a high enough line as well, by the way. And it's something that I mentioned to, to Gab Sutton on the EFL debate. That high line is... A, a danger to well against us to be honest because we saw yesterday against Preston Barnsley the same balls in behind and over the top our defense is immediately on the back foot and you've got Dale Fry who's trying to get back but probably just doesn't have the pace to be able to recover the position and then there's a situation with this with the sweeper keeper we've got two stopgap sweeper keeper so that needs to be addressed uh, in the summer so that's a big weakness of ours a, a big vulnerability that that high line and playing in behind Preston use that kind of weakness to their to their effect to their gain and we were just sloppy all over the pitch really we were incredibly slow and labored and it's been the case for the past six or seven games where we're not moving the ball quick enough and we've become very predictable unfortunately the the triangles on the right hand side that were once very threatening against teams are just they've been nullified and then we we don't really have the answer to it unfortunately so looking ahead to next season I'd like to see that changed and diversifying the attack a bit so we're not as predictable as we've been finishing out this campaign yeah and I think with that then I think with when you mentioned like the high line there I can see why definitely Borough do it it's it's much it's very aggressive in terms of the way we play it tries to pin the opposition down makes them having to run for pitch to try and uh to try and score but it does leave you you know vulnerable to counter-attacks and you know I think a, a very I think there's a really good breakdown on this um on T4 IRL I think where the the breakdown the Real Madrid Man City game and they explain like the high line of City and how it affected the game against uh, Real Madrid but then the, the one change that they made and how Ancelotti changed it it's uh it explains a lot of a lot of things around like Borough's system as well um not just obviously Man City's and, and Real Madrid's system as well but I feel like if you want to educate on that then there's a video which I think we might link it after this but yeah it's and a really good clip 
Yeah, and as well, a, a kind of point on that high line, it's obviously a way that we want to play because we want to be a possession-based team and push the the opposition, kind of condense the, the pitch a bit and, and play in front of that mm-hmm. sort of half of the, the sort of middle third and then the final third. But we need to be more effective in possession for that to work. And you can change the defence, push the line back a bit, but I, that's just not going to happen. We need to be more effective in possession, which is where, you know, we're going to have the sort of fruits of the style of play and try to avoid as much as we can the vulnerabilities behind. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think for me, it's all about the possession and how we're using it and we're just not using it effectively because we're not quickening the tempo at all. Yeah, slow tempo and like no rhythm while play is just like so... It's so important in games. I think when if you don't have the rhythm in, in, in the game and try to be as, as productive as you can on the ball and maybe that one or two touch, uh, quicken up the pace, trying to stretch teams with the width and keeping it on the, on, on the outer space as well, it's so difficult to play against. But like you were saying there, Dan, it, when it comes predictive, it can be your worst enemy because teams can just sit in a very low block, nice and compact shape and break on the counter and that's... I feel like that's how Preston played at times yesterday. They kind of knew what was coming, but when they did, it was like an explosion of like just an explosion of attack, and that's where it mm-hmm. caused us so many problems. But Tom, were you, were you disappointed in in the way we performed yesterday? Because I said you were saying there, it took you a while to calm down. You weren't too happy in our group chat either. It was a really disappointing way it went, wasn't it for you? No, oh, absolutely. It just seemed like we didn't turn up at all. Um, if you were a neutral watching that game and you didn't know which club was going for playoffs and which one supposedly had nothing to play for, even though I don't buy that because who likes losing? Like, no one does, so they're still going to want to win that. But if you had to pick as a neutral which one was going for playoffs, you would have said Preston. They were first to every ball. You know, they were they were putting themselves around physically and, and our players just didn't look up to the fight of it. And that's the, the most disappointing part of yesterday. You could have taken that result if... It looked like our team had tried, but other than by the first 15 minutes where it looked like it was really kind of housing them agree trying to get things going, that I didn't really see any vibe from us, and that was the most disappo- uh, disappointing part of yesterday. On a more positive note then, <clears throat> Dana, you were in attendance yesterday, egg sandwiches in hand, enjoying the game. Um, but the enjoying the game. Enjoying the game and the atmosphere. Um I think the one positive yesterday was definitely the fans in attendance because they were absolutely fantastic, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I mean, we did our bit first 15 minutes in particular. Well, before it, you know, news filtered through that Sheffield United were winning, it was raucous. And even when news did filter through that Sheffield United were winning, we were still loud. And we mm. did all that we could to, to G the fans up. They were singing Sweet Caroline before the game, Chelsea Dagger as well. It was an unbelievable away crowd both visually and, and audibly and I mean listen to this at 4-1 down as well And that came at a point where I'm sure many other people were feeling this as well. I was so deflated, you know, watching that game, watching that performance. It's not great, is it? It's not a great feeling to watch that display in a game where Bora really needed the exact opposite of that. And I was quite down. And then everybody just started singing a while. They said they were waving their flags, their scarves around. And it was just, it was unbelievable. It was that kind of 
prepping up of, of spirits that was really needed. And I think at that point, I was like, I don't really care about this game anymore. Just kind of see the the season out and have a little bit of a party and have have a good time. And and yeah, we all did it. It was it was brilliant. It was brilliant to be a part of that yesterday. It was really fantastic. I think Borough fans showed the best of, of what we can do when we all rally together. Yeah, it was nice to see that sea of red and, and the guy in the banana costume, um, which, which, which just, <laughs> what a way to stick out, by the way, just to see know, him yeah. one in a yellow banana suit. Unreal, that, by the way, absolutely unreal. Um, but I think with, with that, Tom, on, on that positive note, it's, it's really important to kind of forget this now and look ahead to a summer, a really positive transition and, and look to the future because that's what it should all be about now. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see an advantage of not forgetting it as well. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone in, in the club would, uh, would want to just kind of forget how badly we played yesterday. We should have that as a benchmark of let's never play at that level again. Um, but also, yeah, if you can put it to the, if everyone can put it at the back of their minds, you know, while they said uh, as of Monday, the rebuild's beginning and there's going to be some surprises and stuff like that. I think it's just important to to press on with that summer transition now and get it done as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I think we, when we talk about the, the the summer, Craig Johns announced yesterday um, on the Gazette where he said that Bor have offered a deal to Bor captain Johnny Housen. Um, Danny, you're happy with that? Are you happy with like that? That be like the first bit of business we do in the summer. Yeah, he's been brilliant since Chris Wilder came in. He's took to the style of play really well and he's improved massively under Wilder and he was the only player yesterday for me that emerged with any credit and he was massively let down by I suppose well maybe not so much his teammates because I think Preston did a fantastic job at basically pinning everything against Housen and pulling Crooks and Tav out of position and isolating Housen so I mean credit to Preston for that but he was massively up against it it was one man against quite a few for from Preston and it was just it was a shame to say that but he did emerge with credit from the game and he's been a fantastic performer um almost experienced player I suppose when you take out Solbama from the equation because he is out of contract um as well probably not going to get a new deal and it's good that we've got that experience but not only experience good performance as well then second half of the season of Chris Wilder part of the season houses has been fantastic yeah I remember saying on the podcast uh in the October saying I just felt like Housen's legs have just completely gone uh the rug has just been like lifted underneath him and I wouldn't have been surprised if he got like well replaced in in the January window um, but I think with Wilder's system, it's it it just it protects his weaknesses, but also really shows his strengths. And yeah, I think that's that's kind of the reason why we've seen that improvement so much over the last few months. And I think he's 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 thoroughly deserved uh, a new contract. And I'm happy that Johnny's on the journey for next season. So, um, but I'll keep on with with Wilder and, and, and the press conference though, because he said some some really good things um, in after the game yesterday. He said, "You'll see on Monday." the level of work that needs to be done, eye to eye, face to face, or on holiday, it'll be dealt with. You'll see the level of decision, which I've made for quite a long time, in what I believe will turn us from a possibility to a probability, not not can we be a decent side, we will be. And then he does go on to say a little bit more, saying we'll attract some good players and hopefully we'll be in a better position next season. Um, Tom, really good words from your managers, pretty much everything that you want to hear. Um, but do you think this will indicate we won't just see fringe players leave, but we'll see starters leave the club as well? 
I think it, I think yeah. Um, he did say there would be some surprises, um, and I think we could probably get take a guess at, at a couple of of who it might be. I personally think Mark Bowler will be one, um, and I also wouldn't be surprised if Paddy McNair's one as as well. So you think those are the big two names that are going? I think I'm I'm more certain on Bowler than McNair. I just wouldn't be surprised if McNair was one. Interesting. Dana, do you have any like names on top of your head that you think that could potentially be there? Yeah, I did be... think Baller, but it's, I suppose it's easy to say that because he wasn't playing yesterday and he has been dropped recently. Maybe, I mean, maybe that is the reason why mm. um, people are thinking that and it's a very valid one, but it could be anyone, to be honest. It, it really could. But mm. yeah, when he said, um, what was it, attitude over ability, I thought that was quite telling. And mm. yeah, potentially baller. Okay, well, there's a, we have a we do have a question on a, a surprise for for Monday. Like who who we think the surprise is going to be? So I'll come to that in just a moment. But de- uh, but Tom, I'll stick with you because what Wilder was saying there, with everything that's been going on the last few weeks, with the Burnley links, with the potentially uh, of him leaving, does this pretty much cement Wilder now in saying he's here for the long term? He's really planning ahead and he's all in for, for Bora. Yeah, I mean, I think he did that himself with the um, you know, the interview he gave where he pretty much reeled himself out of it on the third time of asking. But um what was it? He's he's just said in that quote there, you'll see the level of decision which I've made for quite a long time. I think that in itself is showing that he's here for the long term because he's um, you know, he he's had this idea in mind of who's going to be staying and who's going to be going. And on another part of his interview, he said there's been players in the team who's pretty much been able to dictate to him uh, mm. if they're playing or not. And he said if if we were in the same position as uh, as Preston, uh, I'd have probably been able to say what's on my mind a little bit sooner than than I actually have. So uh, yeah, I, I think he's uh, he's been thinking about this for a while, and I'm really interested to see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, it made me feel all in with with Wilders as well. The the mentality that him and his coaching staff have and what he's done as a manager as well, it just fills me with so much optimism. And I think next season, yes, there is going to be the standard and the standard's going to be really high from not just him, but the fans as well. They know we've got a fantastic and probably arguably the best manager in the league um, next season. And also we could have a team on, on paper, which could be really strong as well. If, if we do bring in the players that we could potentially be linked with. And yeah, I think this, if I think if we don't go up, the, the fans could, I think would be disappointed next season. Now that's kind of like the level of what people are going to be expecting. And it could be, a, it's a tight rope, but I'm still in that picture of like, or that in that, in that mindset of if we don't go up next season, I'm still waiting for this, like this, the fruits of this, this rebuild and this journey to keep going because we've changed off the pitch now. It takes about a year, about eighteen months to two years to really get it right um, and to really see the fruits of it. So we might not see it next season, which we'll do. We'll have a really good season next year, I think. But maybe that season after could be something really, really special. But Dan, do you feel a lot more optimistic? now um, after you've heard his thoughts because I'd be really keen to hear what you think about Wilder's presser as well yeah I listened to it on the coach back and it was really good to hear really refreshing to hear and 
I mean, he's going to be ruthless, isn't he? I'd love to be a fly on the wall for those conversations on Monday, but I'm not going to be too into it and too kind of celebratory of it because we obviously need to see the action attributed to the words. I think far too many times in recent years, we've had interviews that have kind of elevated some thought of ours be it belief or potential of the team etc and it hasn't quite manifested itself in the way that we want it to so we'll we'll see what happens he did say there's targets that that want to talk to Borough which is really interesting I always love it when managers drop that in because I'm like trying to be Nancy Drew and thinking oh god who could that be um and obviously I've got absolutely nothing to go off um, for that but um, yeah it's it's going to be interesting I did like to hear it but obviously I'd like to see the actions as well which um, we will see I think okay. I hope okay okay that's fine um, let's move on to questions then because every week you were able to send us questions via Twitter email at the board breakdown at hotmail.com or join our telegram chat uh, telegram chat has multiple channels talking about the Premier League the board breakdown the wobbly goblin EFL championship <laughs> And whatever you want to talk about. Um, but the questions is we answer them on the podcast, and we've got quite a few this week. And the first one is from Peter. And I want to couple of both of you on this one. And I know I just alluded to it a couple of minutes ago, but Peter says, Who is going to be the surprise on Monday? Who is that surprise player who's going to stay or go? Uh, Tom, I mean, you might have already said it already, but who's going to be surprised? I think the surprises for me would be McNair. Because um, I think we, we've said before, you know, the amount we've looked into it and said, oh, he works best in the free, seems built for, for Wilder's formation. <clears throat> but I'd, I feel like it wouldn't have been getting past like still into the uh, squad on the right hand side next season anyway. And another surprise I could see would be Jones. Um, but I, I, I feel like that would be less likely. Uh, that would be like the biggest surprise to me. So, Jones and McNair, that's an interesting one. Dana? Well, I did mention Dyke Steel on the Telegram chat earlier. And Don't you this, do it. Don't you do I it. I know. I, wouldn't, I would not like to see it, but it's going to be a big season for both Dyke Steel and McNair if they both stay because there's two good players there vying for one position. And I, depend, I suppose it depends on what's weighted more for that position because being the wide centre-back in this wilder system... There is onus on them to get forward to progress the ball. And I think Dyke Steele's weakness is when he's being pressed in possession. And as a defender, he's fantastic. He's as solid as a as a rock most times, nine times out of ten. But I just it's that little niggling doubt around his ability to bring the ball out of the back, uh, from the back even, that's making me kind of question it. Um, he has been one of our best performers this season. I will say that, so I'll, I'll lay that down there. But as I said, it depends on what's weighted high between the actual defending and the progression of play. And I know that sounds dead daft because they're you know they're in a defensive position, but the style of play that Chris Wilder wants from this side and what we've kind of seen from it, I'd just be interested to see who plays there between him and McNair because defensively... Mm. I think Dykesteel's better than McNair, but in terms of progressing the ball, I think McNair's better than Dykesteel, so it's interesting. Yeah. Dykesteel had a lovely assist yesterday as well. Just It was out. a bloody brilliant ball, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Don't you ever... Good. Don't you ever judge no, Dykesteel again. I don't want to see it. I would not like to see it, but I just it, it, it was food for thought, I think. Um, I don't 
feel like it's going to happen, <laughs> but it's just a, yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's my favorite Borough player. I don't want to, well, I don't want him to leave, but yeah. It's true. Yeah, you got the Dutch uh, flag and everything. What are you going to exactly. use? Exactly. I know it's it's down there. I know. I didn't bring it yesterday. <clears throat> That's probably why we lost. Well, but to be fair, you, you did take it at Barnsley and we lost again. So I, did. I mean, I you did, can't yeah. really you can't <laughs> complain. Um, I, I'm going to go with right. This could be. I'm going to go two things: one for staying and one for potentially going. I'm going to say we might give Bamba another one-year deal. It's like a Jonathan Woodgate contract where like we did a um we we had give him another year, but he was mainly around coaching. He developed him on the on the on the on the on the training pitches, but then he just played for like like a two or three minute cameos there here and there when we need him, he came on. So like I think we might do that then. But then haven't the we done that this season with Bamba? Yeah, he's played more games than we thought though. Mm, true, yeah. And needs must and all. <laughs> Yeah, so he was more of like a need must sign him, but I feel like next year it could be that 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 Jonathan will get type contract. But then the surprise, I think Matt Crooks could be in the picture. You know, I I, I don't know why. The players like, to we, leave. The players to leave, and like, look, this <clears> might be a really horrible and shit take because top goal scorer played well throughout the season. I think he's been the sand of the year as well, and. Oh, well, there goes one of my things from earlier. Uh, for later, but um, <laughs> the, I think he's been really good this year, but 15, no, 16 yellow cards this season. Is that discipline something that we really need to hone in on? Can we rely on it when we need to? He does bring a lot to the team, but does the discipline off the ball and, you know, getting that tight rope in games when we don't need it to be, is that a problem? Who knows? Mm. But... I would hate to see Crooks go. I think Crooks is, is, is good and I think he's had a fantastic season. I really, really like him, but you just never know football. Like Wilder could think, you know what, I've had I've had enough. Like I've just like yeah, you shit discipline. So I do think you maybe. need to play like Matt Crooks in the squad though. I mean, as yeah. as you said, top goal scorer goals from midfield that have been pivotal to us being in the playoff conversation, but yeah, um, He's better technically than I probably initially gave him credit for, but his touch at times is incredibly, um, what's the word, heavy. And mm. I think we're nitpicking here, aren't we? But, you know, yeah. we're, we're trying to find out who, who could be the surprise because it, it could, I mean, he said surprise, so someone could, that nobody's expecting. Could, our, could Martin go? Could Argentinian Martin go? Maybe mm. that could be something as well. Hasn't broken, yeah. had a lot of injuries. Maybe needs a year out on loan. Um, obviously, such a young kid as well. So, who knows? Who knows? There's just we'll find out on Monday. I'm assuming we'll review it very soon. But we'll we'll move on uh, to the next question. It's from Rob, and he says, "How much of an overhaul is needed? How do we avoid being too knee jerk?" Uh, Dan, do you want to take this one? I feel like it's quite predictable to come off the back of a of a Premier, uh, Premier League I wish it were Premier League um a sort of failed promotion campaign and say we need a massive overhaul but I do think we do you know 10 to 12 players I think I mentioned on one of the previous podcasts because I'm looking it's not only in terms of position but stylistically as well as I mentioned the the wide centre-backs want to bring the ball forward you need the attributes to be able to do that being comfortable in possession a good passer but good defensively as well left wing back right wing back we need options there we need a goalkeeper of course we need 
probably about 10 strikers to cover 20 goals a season because our strikers are just, we're not going to get a 20 goal a season striker. I've just already decided that now. So yeah, I think we need a, a big rebuild. I don't think it's Egypt to say that because we just don't really have kind of top championship level players. Um, I think Chris Wilder has got a lot of this squad punching above their ceiling and the inevitable kind of fallback from that we've seen it ran out of steam mm. unfortunately so I think we do need a, a big rebuild just to add to certain positions and to sort out the problem positions which have been at the both ends of the pitch okay then uh, for the next question uh so I'm Ted and Tom will come to you for this one and he says how worrying is the beatings we've taken at Sheffield Preston and Barnsley I mean, Barnsley more of the three of them because that was that was horrendous against a team that's just been relegated. So um, I, I hope it's not worrying going forward and going in the next season. I think it's something we should be looking at in, in the past, uh, ho- hopefully while we're having a good season next season, thinking, God, remember when our mentality was that bad. But I think it does just show how far away we were from, uh, from actually competing, where... You know, we went on such an unbelievable run when when Wilder first came in, and then the wheels kind of came off, and and no one, no one really kind of kept that mentality. Um, like I said, uh, in the last couple of weeks, that mental fatigue. It, it didn't seem like the players that that were playing were built for a full season in the championship. Uh, definitely not a full season competing. So, uh, I think it just kind of shows how far we we have to come this summer. Okay then. So for the next question, it's from Joe, uh, and he says, "How, how does we where? Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I'll start that right again. Uh, how does this season finish? Uh, uh, now you compare where we thought we were under Warnock, we're still here, um, and which area of the squad is underrated and need for us in the summer? Um, so I think it's how does this season compare to like if if Warnock was still here? Like where do you think we would have finished?" Um, and then which area of the squad is underrated in the summer? So, Dana, do you want to take the first part of the the question? When I said seventh before ball was kicked, that was under Warnock, and then I bumped that up on BBC T's to sixth. So, I, yeah, I think the way that the season was going under Warnock, and this is ignoring my pre-season prediction here, I don't think we would have been in the playoff picture, so... I'll just say that outright. And then the underrated position that needs strengthening, maybe right-sided centre midfield, because it depends on Martin Pierre on his future and if he stays, if he goes. I know we might be knee-jerking here because let's let's be real, it's a, a, a relatively young player in a completely different country, probably doesn't know the language still. There's a lot of time that needs to be put into uh, Martin Pierre, but he could he could potentially benefit from a loan. So it depends on him, but there's one potentially that's an underrated position in need of um, another option. But as I said, it does depend on Piero, I suppose. Tom, do you have one for underrated? Uh, probably right wing back. Um, I think whenever the squad's been coming out on a Saturday or whenever we've been playing, you know, people would have automatically assumed that Jones is going to be playing and, you know, in that right wing back position. But then we had those two two games where he was out ill and it just showed how little depth we have in that position. And I think especially 
considering Jones's form hasn't been great recently, which might not be too much his fault. I know we have been kind of figured out on that right-hand side. People, teams know how to kind of defend against him, but we had no plan B in that position. Um, you know, if you can get like another attacking, attacking wing back who's a little bit more uh, unpredictable, um, you know, potentially that might solve a little bit of uh, creativity issues on the right-hand sides, but at the moment, it's Jones or, or nothing. Okay, then. I think what's on the right wing back stuff, and I like the unpredictability side of things, like every player becomes predictable eventually. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, as, I don't think there's one player, I think there's only actually maybe one player in the world in a Dama Triari, which I, I still don't know what I think he's going to do with the ball when he runs with it. <laughs> but, like, I think majority of wingers, like, you do become predictable over time. So it's like it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think you think eventually you always do get find found out with like just with like the level of analysis that goes on now, it can be quite difficult in it uh, to 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 really find someone as, as unpredictable as probably like an Adama. Um, but the next question is from uh, the little fella, and he says, "Does Chris Wilder need a plan B? Uh, surely Big Uche could have mixed things up when we needed it this year. Uh, I'm not turning on him or the team. It's been brilliant since he came in." But it is it is worrying. There's plenty of mid-table clubs who have had effect, effective front lines. Let's hope we find one. So, Tom, does Chris Wilder need a plan B? Um, I wouldn't say so. Uh, and this is purely going back to an argument I always have about the current years, where it's like if plan A is effect, uh, effective, you know, 90, 95% of the time, you don't need a plan B. And he was getting slated for having no plan B. Uh, at that point, even though we had great target men like Kike Sola playing for us. But um, <laughs> I, I think plan A just needs a lot of work. Um, we, as, as we've said, we became predictable um, and there are areas of the squad that, that need up, upgrading. So I think do that, make plan A more effective. There's no real need for a plan B. Uche has never been the plan B either. Um, I understand why people think that because of the hold-up play. He's somebody that can play with his back to goal and turn his man and get shots off, but he has he's not the sort of player technically that I think Chris Wilder wants, hence why he shipped him out on loan. And funnily enough, I was looking at his kind of games for Cardiff and he hasn't even started a game for them. It's kind of six minutes, eight minutes, 12 minutes. He's, you know, something that we've seen from the kind of Chris Wilder style, although we haven't really seen it too much lately, is the pressing from the forwards. And there's absolutely no chance that Uche is going to press a defender. He's going to be knackered after one sprint because that just seems like his his muscle mass dictates how many minutes he can play. So, yeah, he was never the option. Just comes back as a stick next season. <laughs> Such like an athletic like build. Um Next one, uh, it's from Tom Muldowney, and he says, is it a concern that Piero's featured so little under Wilder, and particularly since his return from injury? Uh, Tom, I'm going to stick with you for this one. Uh, is it worried about Piero? Uh, I don't think so. Because um, when he's came back from injury, we've been an important part of the season. Um as much as you know, we've there is questions around Crooks's discipline. He couldn't really take him out of the team at that point. Um, I would have liked to have seen him feature off the bench a little bit more, especially you know when we need a little bit more creativity in games, because um, we know he can he can pick a pass. But um, I, I think it depends on how how well he's doing and recovering from his injury in that respect as well, um, and you know what the what the uh, the science is saying in terms of how many minutes you give him, etc. 
he's had so many injuries and just been so unlucky this season. Like when Crooks got that that fifteenth yellow card, you thought, oh, Pierre could come back in here. Then he's injured again. It's just it, it just feels like every time he's he's just starting to to really t- uh, get going again, something just falls in his way, and it's so so disappointing. Um, but the next question, uh, Dan, I want to come for you with this one. And it says from it's from Corey. It says, "How did Spira fall off so bad? And would you sell Jones? Yes or no?" I wouldn't sell Jones, but yeah, Spira's kind of fall from grace, shall we say, being almost a cult hero with a fantastic chant to being somebody that you're kind of waving goodbye to without any sort of sad, real sadness is is quite something. And I think if it wasn't for James Lesaliki, Spira would be in the conversation for flop of the season. I mean, he scored two goals since the turn of the year and only one of those was from open play. And his shot performance in the championship is incredibly poor, minus 4.17 there, the second worst behind Jordan Hugo. And he's been a big part of, I suppose, the struggles in front of goal because he's had opportunities. He His XG is just shy of 13 and he scored eight goals. And for a striker to come in with a fairly decent reputation and to score, what was it, I think, He's on five non-penalty goals and Coburn's on four. I mean, that's it says it all, to be honest. It's incredibly poor. And I think his application has been quite disappointing as well. His press was there at the beginning of Chris Wilder's reign. It's not there anymore. Um, and his build-up play as well, his link-up play, one of his biggest strengths from when I watched a few of his clips at Sporting, haven't really seen that so much. He does try to get in behind. He does make moves. There was a, a point yesterday where Housel could have played him in and just delayed it a bit, and it just kind of cl- the opportunity closed up. But other than that, you know, he's just kind of been a passenger for well since the turn of the year, and his goal return at the start of 2022 to now just shows how big of a passenger he's unfortunately been. Such a shame, isn't it? Such a mm. shame. I think the, the start of the season, big big fan of Spira. Off the ball movement was fantastic. Like you said, Dana, like that the turn the turn of year has been really difficult for Andras. But then the final question, uh, Tom Kean, he says, Is there a malt curse we can blame this result on? Dana, you just stay right there because I've got something which uh <laughs> which might blame our entire season on you. One second. Well, I think we'll be in and around the top six, but I don't think we'll end up there. I think seventh for me. Final, a bit of final day drama where we're unfortunately come shop. <laughs> I should have put a bet on that, shouldn't I? Dana Malt. The Malt Curse, the official curse of Middlesbrough Football Club. I felt pretty strongly about that as well. Um, Rob Law was desperate to try to change my opinion to a top six finish when I was on the fan tease that I gave in eventually. But that was one thing I was probably dead set on this season, that we were going to just miss out on the the playoffs. And, And yeah, it happened. It wasn't quite the final day drama that I was thinking of. It was more of a case of, you know, like the kind of topsy turviness, the Sheffield Derby. Rotherham situation from from last season, but at the other end of the of the table. But yeah, fortunately we unfortunately we missed out. I think you've pretty much nailed it, Dana, and and you can't blame Rob Law for for changing your opinion there. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not blaming Rob. Don't put the malt curse on Rob Law. This is entirely on you. But this is the malt curse. The malt curse. The official the official curse of Middlesbrough Football Club. <laughs> But let's move on. It is season review time, and it's this my favorite, one of my favorite shows of the season. And this is where we 
we really embraced this season because fans were allowed back in the stadium. We had a managerial change, of course, 70 points, seventh position, three years of progress if you're looking at back-to-back seasons and beating Manchester United and Tottenham in the FA Cup. Although we fell short in, in our playoff hunt, it has been a memorable season, hasn't it, Tom? It has. Um, I think without the without the cup run, it would still be sort of memorable. Um, just going back to the the run we were on when Wilder first came in, some of the res- results we got there absolutely superb. Some of the the football we were playing right at the at the start, we we looked unbeatable, and I, I could have, could have seen us uh, you know really challenging up up for about a third or something. But as we said earlier, the uh, the wheels kind of fell off. But it's give us such a good starting point for, for the next couple of years. Um, and just really looking forward to seeing how we build on it now. I think next season, I, I think with every season you're aiming to, uh, to end up higher than, than you were the season before. So next season, it, it, has, it has to be playoffs. has to be playoffs. Dana, would you echo all of what Thomas just mentioned there? Yeah, I agree. Um, we've seen some really good stuff. Uh, as Tom said, you take the cup out of the equation, the performance against Forest on Boxing Day was fantastic. The first 45 minutes against Huddersfield was the best football that I've seen Borough play in the longest time at that point. And, you know, the late winners against Blackpool and, and Reading, I'm sure everybody that went to Blackpool will probably say that that's their highlight of the season. I mean, the scenes when when that goal went in from, from Watmore, it was just brilliant. And yeah, we've seen a lot of good things this season to be really optimistic about the next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Okay, then. And, and the next one, uh, Tom, I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this because throughout the season, we had some unbelievable performances and we had some equally really poor ones. And it's, that's the nature of the championship. But I mean, we did get a question uh, from Matthew Rowney on this, but I've, I've put it into a review part. And they, they do say, he, he says, like, what result or cluster of performances did Borough fall, fall short on? What were the pivotal moments for you why Middlesbrough finished seventh? I think a pivotal moment for me was the 1-0 loss away at Blackburn. Because uh, at that point, we were playing so well. And then to put in a performance like that, and then, you know, uh, Wilder's interview after the match, he said we turned up as if we thought the game was already won and we didn't really need to do anything. And I think that is probably the starting point of where you can see the mentality issues uh, with the team kind of starting. And then it's followed over into results after that as well. Um, You know, we mentioned uh, earlier, Barnsley, horrendous results, Hull at home, um, probably Huddersfield at home as well. It, it was just it was showing us, you know, how how far we have to go. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, it's it's the nature of the championship. You know, the the championship is in itself is so inconsistent, but the teams that always go up are the consistent ones. And we, I think, we definitely shown that with a new manager times. But you know, when we're looking at home, we had like eight or nine wins in a row in all competitions. It was really positive. We were building a solid platform. And then I just want to come to the managerial change because in in the October uh, time, I think it was October, November, was it, when we we did switch from, from Warnock to, to Wilder? I can't remember. It was, it was November. 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 Was November. Yeah. yeah. I always right think October. Right before the international break. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Because I remember we, we said on in the October that Middlesbrough do tend to change managers in the October when we look at Southgate, Strachan and, and Mowbray as well. So uh, we have that really weird date, isn't it? I think all, all three managers within the same week. Uh, I think it's around the 17th you know, of October, yeah. Yeah, I feel like we need to probably put that back. But Middlesbrough did make that managerial change in the summer, then, uh, in, the summer in, in the November. Uh, I'm assuming, it's, I think it's a very easy answer, uh, very, very answer to this, but are you happy with the, the managerial change and the direction we're now going in, everything like that. Are you happy with what we did at that at the time? Yeah, I think it was a, a good point to move Warnock on and bring Wilder in on the eve of, of an international break, as as Tom said. And he's just brought about a new belief in this club and the style of players, what I've wanted, the kind of possession, front foot football. And yes, it might not have panned out the way that we wanted to this season with a playoff finish. And yes, we might have been predictable, but just think about what Chris Wilder can do with these players and with a a different set of players as well with additions coming in in the summer for next season. I think that's really, really exciting. I was talking to George, uh, not the top 20 George, who's an Oxford fan. He's obviously seen Chris Wilder being manager of his football club and he said that we're going to be some force next season. I trust George's opinion being the EFL expert that he is. So um, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to blame George. You can't you can't put the malt curse on George here, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with you on, on the, the managerial change because... At the time, people were saying it could have been managed better. Chris Wilder alluded to it yesterday in his press away. He kind of said it was pretty much nonsense. The, the club wasn't going in the right direction, which forced the change. I think it's very easy to to say that you're happy with the, the, the managerial change. And do you think it was the right time? Do you think Warnock was 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 done and dusted? And do you think we've we've done made the right decision? Yeah, I mean, it 
probably could have been done sooner in hindsight. I think mm. at, at the time, you know, Warnock was really kind of controlling that narrative uh, and being the outspoken one. And with what he was saying, where it was like, oh, they've done it over the phone. Uh, you know, they locked me out of the office on the Sunday because Wilder was in there and stuff like that. Ah, like, oh, what, what have they done? But then you listen to Warn- uh, Warnock on TalkSport for the rest of the season, you think, ah, oh, He's just said Azpilicueta is not really a footballer, so does he really know what he's talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, obviously we don't know what went on behind closed doors and, and stuff, but yeah, I mean, potentially the way we were playing, it could have been done earlier. Yeah, I think I think the managerial change as well, just to echo both your points, I think it's I think it's one of the best decisions we've made as, as a club in, in recent history, I think, because although one came in and did the job that, we wanted him to do, and he made us say from from the Woodgate era, and you know he established us once again as a as a as a team which it should be in the championship for, for for a couple of seasons here and there. But we outgrew him as just a team. The team was a lot better than what he was saying it was, and it's been proved time and time and time again. I think if we look at like points per game averages of, of Wilder and, and and Warnock, much much better. Every probably pretty much most metrics. Are probably even though very marginally um, are more likely in Wilder's favour. Marginal differences make the biggest differences in football, and I think we've definitely definitely done that under Chris Wilder, and I'm hoping we will progress that in the in the in the next season. But in terms of trends, we you know every season review podcast we we do identify a few trends in in the way that the style's been, our strikers, um, and this year we'll look at goalkeepers as well. Um, but even last year, we spoke a lot about strikers, and Warnock at one point in his press in his press conferences did say, "I don't even have any strikers." Um, so this year, though, Sparrow got eight, Watmore got seven, Corburn got four, Balogun got three, Connolly got two, and so did Uche before he went out on on loan. When we're looking at strikers, and we've said earlier on the podcast about rhythm and trying to give players the consistency to, to play over a prolonged period of time and when when and when not to change them. But Dana, do you think that striker rotation has played a part in our strikers' inconsistency and form throughout the year? I think you could easily swap that around and say that our strikers' inconsistency has played a part in the rotation because, let's be honest, if they were scoring and performing really well, it wouldn't even be a question of rotation, would it? You'd be in the team and and that would be that. So, you know, none of them have been strong enough or good enough consistently to be in that team consistently. Watmore and Spira are probably the, the biggest example of that. They were a decent partnership, but not necessarily great. They were just the best of a bad bunch, which elevated the kind of desire to have them playing regularly. And what has been mentioned a few times this season, specifically by the guy that sits in front of me at the Borough match, is that it's just like shuffling cards, trying to pick which striker combination we're going to go into a game with. And yeah, the striker rotation might not have helped because in terms of this, I suppose the telepathy of knowing where one striker is going to go, the movement he's going to make, the runs that he's going to make, being in the right spaces and playing the pass at the right time, etc. It probably doesn't help. But at the same time, can you really blame Chris Wilder? He's just he's had a, a bunch of strikers that aren't really staking their claim to stay on the side consistently because their performances don't really deserve that. So it's been tough and we definitely need a striker that can be strong in, in their performances consistently and 
be a part of the the style of play that Chris Wilder wants. A good hold up striker with good technical ability. Some someone that I would like to see for a sign. Tom, would would you agree with, with what Dana was saying there? Do you think there's there's probably more to it? Do you think that the do you think rotation has played a part, or do you think it's 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 either way? Do you think it's that our inconsistency of strikers has really played a part in that? I, I think it is the inconsistency of them. To be honest, um, you know they. <sighs> They didn't fit into the system the the way um, we would need them to. Uh, I think when you got <clears throat> you got Spira, who you know the, the movement's great, you can see him pointing all the time. Um, but that should transfer over into pressing better than it did, and he it, it seemed like he wasn't kind of making that effort. I was just thinking a bit earlier on we were talking about the strikers pressing. Watmore's probably the only one who's done it uh, well. Um, but also his finishing's not the best. <clears throat> um, I mean, it's inconsistent. He, he's scored some cracking goals, but uh, it, it is inconsistent. You know, he's missed some from two yards out and stuff. I was thinking to, me, thinking to myself as well, imagine if uh, Wilder was manager while Tunshire was playing, he'd have loved him. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I, I think they need to, to really make an effort to fit into the system a bit more. The, there's players throughout the squad who you can see have adapted to the system well. Uh, you know, Tab being one of them, Dykesdale being another. But it, it just seemed like the the strikers, bar what more, weren't really bought in on the on the pressing side of things. Yeah, and I want to like just just saying that and you alluded to like like the twin try thing there as well, and so the pressing side of things. Player devil's advocate. And the inconsistency that you both mentioned there. Do we even actually play to these strikers' strengths, Tom? I mean, I mean there's an argument to that, but as, as I said, the strikers should be trying to fit into the system more than it is just kind of like being unadaptable and saying, no, you're not playing to my strengths. You know, mm. um, Oches went out on loan. We were never going to play to his strengths, uh, and it, it was clear he wasn't going to fit into part of the system. Spira should have fit into the system. He just didn't seem to. And then you look at Connolly and, and Balogun as well. Uh, I, I think you can't question the effort Connolly made to to try and fit into it. He did try and, and press. It's just it, the goals didn't come with that as well. And and Balogun, personally, I don't think fit into this system, which I'm disappointed about because I was I was looking forward to seeing him as part of this system on the left hand side when he. Uh, when he signed in January, but I just I, I don't think it worked well. So, what would be the best way to play the forwards? And Dana, would you look to keep the same system and try to bring in players that w- would be more adaptable to it? Or is there a point where we might have to change the way we play to suit what we've got? I think there needs to be a certain amount of flexibility up front that when something isn't working, for example, if we are going to try to go in behind, which did happen in the game against Stoke. We were getting between the centre-halves and playing those balls through. We scored from one of them. If that's not working, we've got to have somebody that could come short. And we have seen that a lot this season where strikers come short. But as I've mentioned so many times, as we've mentioned so many times, we don't have a striker that can sustain pressure and be able to, I suppose, be the hold-up player as well. Victor Jokeres did so well against us because he was exactly that. And I mean, players like Jokeres, we're, ne- we're never going to get a player like him, to be honest. And we're, not gonna, we're never going to get him specifically. But somebody that is decent at 
many things as sort of jack of all trades, a master of none sort of thing, if you know what I mean. Mm. I feel like that sort of player is, is needed in this team alongside a poacher. So Carlton Morris would be a fantastic signing for us because I think his hold-up play was brilliant and has been brilliant this season. He's the probably the only Barnsley player that's emerged with credit from their, their season. Don't be put off by their relegation. They've still got some good players whose star might have fallen a little bit, but there's potential in them to, to bring them back up. And I think Carlton Morris is somebody that is maybe not a a regular starter, maybe somebody that we can rely on at times to be that uh, to be alongside a poacher. I think he'd be a, a great signing. Somebody like him, um, with a hold up player, the kind of link up player, and and also a decent finish. I think he's got seven goals this season, which isn't bad. Um, I think that would be good. Okay, then. So let's move on to pattern to play then, because when we look at Millsworth's play from the, the the change from from last year to this year, appreciate a lot has changed in terms of Millsworth and the, the style and the way that we were playing under a previous regime to now. I think it's a it's much it's much more different. One was hitting the ball on the channels and hoping in a much more compact shape defensively, uh, but this is more of a patient build up. Try to be a bit more aggressive in our press, and well, especially when we sit on, on a, a much higher line. And, you know, we are more, much more dominant on that right-hand side. So when we're looking at Boris Patterns of play, 42% uh, was on that right-hand side with Isaiah Jones, but it did peak at one point to 49%. So how do you amend that change? We've, we've spent, said earlier in the podcast that Boris did become predictable at times. So how would you change and how would you remove that over-reliance on that right-hand side then? And, and do you think it's that Boris downfall? There's too much on that right I think there's been many downfalls of this season. That is probably one of them, the the way that we petered out towards the end of the campaign. But we just need to, as I said, diversify the the attack and um, add a, another similar option, I suppose, on that left-hand side. Somebody that is comfortable in possession of the ball, is a goal threat, is creative, maybe even converting a midfielder to, to left wing back. That's something that Ryan Law, of course, we've, we've just faced his Preston side. He likes to do with his players. Connor Grant used to be on my transfer wish list, was a, a midfielder converted to a left wing back. Similarly, with you know, speaking about Barzi there, Callum Styles, Ryan Law, I think was the was the manager at Berry that converted Callum Styles to a left wing back. So players that um, you know, are, 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 as I said, comfortable in possession can progress the play and are playmakers, essentially. And adding that little bit more of a threat on that left-hand side to balance it out with the right so there's not so much of an uh, an over-reliance on Jones, that's what I'd like to see from Borough. And I'm sure that's one of the positions that we're trying to tie up and strengthen because that's exactly what we need. But going out and getting somebody like Conor Grant, like Callum Styles, I think that would be really good to, to see, just to add a little bit more, as I said, balance to the team. Okay, so like looking at the goalkeepers, it's been a huge talking point throughout this podcast uh, this season. And also last year as well, Bettinelli was really, really poor. Um, you could argue that we've actually improved in goal this season, but it depends who, who you want to ask. Uh, but Tom, how do our keepers stack up against other goalkeepers in the championship? Uh, poorly would be the answer to that. Um, <clears throat> right on. <laughs> Look, looking, at the, uh, looking at the stats... Joe Lumley, 16th out of 21 in terms of save percentage. And if you're looking at the goals prevented stat, uh, Joe Lumley is 54th out of 58, and Luke Daniels is 47th out of 58. Um, and you look at the top five in terms of goal pre- uh, goals prevented, 
Four of them are in the playoffs. Admittedly, one of them is Matt Ingram, who's letting seven on his debut for Luton. So, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, Wes Fodrenham first, uh, Matt Ingram second, Lee Nichols third, uh, Dan Grimshaw from Blackpool is actually fourth, and then Bryce Sambers fifth. So, I think that just kind of outlines how good you need your goalkeeper to be to be, uh, uh, you know, high up the league. What's what's Lumley's goals prevented? Is it minus six something? It is minus three point six. Oh no, that's that's Luke Daniels. Sorry, minus six point two. <laughs> oh no, I was going to I was going to say the minus six point two is is pretty bad. Yeah, and I had a look into the the stat. You know, errors leading to goals three this season. Um, I couldn't find a keeper in the championship that I looked at that had more than three. There was a few on three, like Luke Southwood, for example, at Reading, but he's been a, cal- a calamity. Let's be honest and. I said three there. That's only the statistics. From the naked eye, you could probably say that he's made a few more errors that have, have led to goals. Um, but what I will say as well, actually, is as much as you can say that Lumley's been at fault for this season, for his for all of his mistakes, I also think about the missed chances that we've had. Sparrow, 2-0 down against Chef United, that could change the game completely. Watmore's miss against Stoke, Tav's miss against Swansea, Connolly's miss against Swansea. There's so many. There's so many. So it's both ends of the pitch that are a problem. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and there's it's it's uh, like we were saying earlier. It's, it's fine fine margins in football. If we did put the chance away, what does the game look like? And then also at Lumley as well, we had to play a different style of goalkeeper um, under a new manager as well. So probably more of his mistakes came under Wilder, um, but appreciate did get dropped by both managers, which isn't a good sign. But Tom, does this prove that a goalkeeper should be our number one in the shopping list next season? Because we've got Hemming, who was just who came, who's going to come back from Kilmarnock, and he he has just uh, he's he's in the Scottish player of the season, uh, season team, isn't he? Um, hmm. And then and then also won a, a trophy up there as well. We've got Solibrin as well, who came back on loan. He was playing in Scotland and did did well. We've got Daniels and Lumley. How would you manage it? And also is number one our shopping list. One well, I've actually st- still got Stojanovic as well. And Stojanovic. I, yeah. I forgot um, he existed, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think we do need a new goalkeeper uh, for, for next season. Looking at those stats, I mean, it's mad to think that we finished seventh with, you know, where our goalkeepers have finished in those stats and and, and where the, uh, the playoff goalkeepers have finished. So I think that just kind of outlines, you know, you get a slightly better goalkeeper we could have been in the playoffs. Um, so I, I think that that just should, kind of shows how much we're going to need one uh, in the summer. Probably the be- a better time than than January to be looking one as well, because uh, no one's letting the number one keeper go in January. They're probably more likely to in the summer. Um, I think one of Lumley and Daniels has to go, and my personal opinion is that it would be Lumley. I think Daniels would be staying as number two. Stojanovic, I think, will be gone. Um, Obviously, you just said he, he thought he existed, but Quick, I think he'll yeah. he'll uh, he'll he'll be out on you know <laughs> a free transfer or, or if we can get any any money for him back, uh, just to kind of get his wages off the books. And I think either one of him and and Bring uh, will be in number three for next season. Okay, then. So then, the final question out of all this season before we move to the awards, how would you rate this season out of ten? Dana, do you want to go first? 
I would say seven, I think. We've had some really good moments, some high moments, but some low moments as well. And I think those drubbings, the Chef United's, the Preston's, even the game against Barnsley Shaw, uh, I think they're indicative of, of kind of where we are, who we are and what needs to be done. So, yeah, it's it's been a good season still, more more positives than negatives. But, yeah, um, still a lot of work to be done. Tom? Uh, I'm going to sound proper harsh now, but six. Um I think my reason behind that is nine or ten would be automatic promotion, uh, and eight or seven would be playoffs or you know getting the playoff Fair. final. Um, and I think it, it's six because I'm I'm looking at, at it as a whole. You got to take Warnock's contribution or lack of contribution into that as well. Um, <laughs> and you know the first half of the season wasn't good. We did improve. We've had the cup run, which you know increases it in my estimation a little bit I would say a high six it's not far off being a seven but um yeah we, we've had some still shocking performances in the second half of the season which have, have cost us as well so yeah I've got to go with six overall okay then I will go you're right there Tom just just had button your mic um no, I'll punch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with uh, six yeah I'll go with six as well Tom average season Average. Well, no, you know what, Tash? Seven. I'll go seven. Sorry. Um, I think the I think the FA Cup and the FA six point five. Six point five. I'll go in the middle. Six point five. I'll be the filling in the sandwich. Um, <laughs> be the egg. I'll be, I'll, be the, I'll, be, I'll be the egg and mayo in, the, in your sandwich. There. Um, yeah, I think it was a, it was a good season. I think if if we were rating this on surprise. Um, I would be up there because I think under the previous manager we were nowhere near, um, and I didn't think we were going to be anywhere close to the playoffs. So, yeah, I think if it was a surprise, I'd be like eight or nine. But now, I would probably say six and a half out of out of ten. But let's move on to the Borough Breakdown Awards. Uh, I absolutely love this part because uh, we like to give out our Player of the Season, uh, Player of the Season, our just favorite moments um the shit house of the year is gonna be one this year it's gonna be great i'm gonna come in with but before we do all of that um we before the start before even a ball was kicked we had some bold predictions um so let's see how we how we we did what is your bold prediction for this season who wants to go first i think my bold prediction was we're going up um (laughs) (laughs) i don't know Call me crazy. I, I, I think we could do it. Well, I've gone with Tav. Both Tav and Nick Pierce who get double figures. Okay, good one. Uh, I'm going to say if we're mid-table by Christmas, Warnock's gone. Oh, I, I tell you what, that Warnock one was not bad, wasn't it? I tell you what. <laughs> Mine was awful. Why did I ever think that any Borough player was going to get into double figures? I mean, I know Crooks did, but still. Yeah, I know. Well, and Tom... Yeah, we'll I don't want to start about him, Well, you know what, Tom? I wanna. There's there's something else about your predictions this season because we did do surprise package of the season. Danny, you went with Uche. I went with Crooks, and then changed my mind to Mark Baller. And Tom, you went with just a wonderful pick. I'm sticking with my theory for this one. I'm going to go Sammy Amiobi. I think come the end of the season, we're all going to be like, you know, what a season he's he's just had. 
<laughs> what a I mean, the stars. You you could argue that it was a surprise that he never played for us, but oh, that that's that's up there with uh, Elliot Thick and Sam Stubbs for Player of the Year or something. <laughs> Hey, I tell you, that, that Sam Stubbs one will stick long in the memory for Breakthrough Player of the Year for him only be sold probably about a week later. Um, but the player of the season one as well, our, our predictions for that at the start were Tom, you went with Dale Fry, who has had a fantastic season in Dana. Me and you went for Marcus Tavernier. So now it's time for us to pick our player of the season. And Dana, who do you want to pick for your player of the year? Oh, this one's tough. It's between two. Oh, I feel like I'm going to have to go for Isaiah Jones over Tav. Um, I just think he's been brilliant throughout the two two uh, managerial. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we've had two managers and two entirely different styles. So trying to pick a player of the season throughout the entirety of the campaign, not just the kind of wilder time, it's tough. But I think Jones has just been brilliant um a massive a massive surprise nobody really expected it I don't even think he was and his performances although he's definitely been quieter towards the end of the season we cannot forget the um the the good moments that he's brought and um and the promise that he's kind of fulfilled this season so yeah I would say Jones but Tav is very very close there's this kind of idea that Tav was poor under Warnock don't agree with it. I think he's been pretty consistent throughout the entirety of the campaign, but I feel like I can't go for Tav, so it's difficult. Okay, then Tom? Sammy up? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually am going to go for Tav. Um, you know, I think he's been superb this season, and since Wilder's come in, he's he's moved to this, uh, I don't want to say new role, because he's always kind of de- described himself as a more central player, but He's he's had to go for this more uh, you know centre mid left side centre mid uh, role. He's added so much to his game, and you can see like uh, you know how influential a player he's becoming. The the leadership qualities coming in, I think there's still a lot more to come from him. Um, and you know I, I just think he's been super, uh, especially since Wilder came in. Yeah, I, 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 it's a good pick, and I I like your pick as well, Dana. The men, the player that we haven't mentioned is is Johnny Housen, and I, I think I know a lot of fans will will want him to be that player of the year. He's played excellent since Chris Wilds came in, but I'll probably say since January we've seen the best of Johnny Housen, and I think the system really does suit him. And he's played well in games where we needed a big result. And so when you look at the the Manchester United game, you look at the Tottenham game. I'd probably say Stoke uh, the other week where he was absolutely fantastic and arguably the best player on the pitch and he's been really, really good. And I think he, he does deserve a shout, but I just remember at the start of the season from maybe August to maybe November where Housen was getting pelters week in, week out. I remember saying on the podcast <clears> that his legs <throat> had gone and we need to replace him in the January. And he's completely proved me wrong in the second half of the season. Thoroughly deserves his contract. But I'm not going to pick him, and I'm going to pick Anthony Dykesteel for his well player of the season because I think he's been a player. When we appreciate he has been injured for I think about ten games of the of the season, um, but when he has when he hasn't played, we've missed him massively. But when he has played, he's been absolutely superb, Mister Reliable, seven or eight out of ten most weeks, getting assists now in a, in a right centre back position. And also, you can really show you can you can really see his development this year as a, as a player. 
Um, he's came on leaps and bounds since I think we were since uh, we'll get signed in. You can see the quality was there. Um, but since he's moved more, much more in a central position, appreciate used to be a centre, mid, uh, centre defensive midfielder at the time uh, when we did sign him. But I think this this year has been a year where you could just you could build that you could build a house and you could have Anthony Dykesteel next to him, and you probably say Anthony Dykesteel's more reliable in the house. Um, and I just, <laughs> I, I just, I think he's just been superb for me, and I think that's why he's, he's probably going to get um, our player of the season. But Johnny Housen definitely deserving a mention because. The second half of the season, I think he's been absolutely superb and thoroughly deserves his his new contract. If he if he does sign, it, of course. <laughs> let's go on to the next one then, because let's go signing of the season. I blurted mine out earlier, so everyone knows mine's <laughs> Matt Crooks. Um, but who do you two go for, Tom? Do you want to take this one first? I think there's only Crooks you can pick out of, out of all those signings. <laughs> um, you know, you you could maybe. In fact, I don't know if you make a case for Bamber and uh, Peltier, but they've probably contributed the most uh, out of all the signings other than the other ones. But yeah, Crooks, you know, he's he's finished as what our top scorer, top yellow cards. Um, you know, <laughs> top he, he's, yellow he's, cards. <laughs> he's, he's done his job in the team well. So yeah, can't go for anyone other than Crooks, really. Okay, and then a hat trick. Yeah, it would have to be. Yeah. Um, I think Crooks has been good, if you even if you take out the the fact that nobody else has quite been great themselves. But um, yeah, Crooks has been good this season. He's definitely surprised me as well. Didn't really expect much from him, and he's yeah, he's been fantastic. Okay, then, and then the next one is favorite moment of the season. Uh, Dana, it's been a memorable one, like we've all said. But what is your favorite moment? Yeah, there's obviously knocking Man United out on penalties at Old Trafford and Josh Corburn's goal against Spurs. But I'm actually going to go for Tav's goal against West Brom. Me and Tom were sat next to each other on that game and I just remember we'd say it to each other, we were like, Tav! And then, oh my God, it, <laughs> it was like, um, it was just like that finally moment. And um, it was a good goal as well. It has to be said, it was a great goal. Dyke still on the right-hand side really tight to the line and nutmegging. I think it was Connor Townsend. Um, thankfully, Duncan Watmore completely missed the ball and allowed Tav to, to steal in at the at the far post. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good moment. And that was the the winner as well in that game. So yeah, Tav's, Tav's goal against West Brom. Kind of going away from the obvious picks. I think that one's uh, a good moment. Yeah, and shout out to Steve Bruce for making that happen um, <laughs> by doing absolutely nothing tactically to stop it. Uh, he was too Tom, busy thinking about that bacon. Yeah, how's the, how's the bacon? Did you say, uh, uh, Tom? How? What's your moment of the season? I am actually going to go for an obvious one. I'm going to go for Alanga Sky and his penalty over the bar at uh, at Old Trafford. Personally, I didn't really celebrate the Crooks goal because I just assumed that VR was going to overturn it. I, I watched the ball ricochet off uh, Watmore's hand. It was like in eye line with me. I was like, oh, they're going to overturn it. So there's no point in celebrating. So I feel like I missed out in terms of celebrating that. But as soon as Alanga absolutely hit the moon with his uh, <laughs> with his penalty, you know, everyone went wild. You know, it, it was like five minutes of just kind of like pure celebrating and watching all the uh the man united fans leaving to go on the bus back to london so uh <laughs> gotta go with that one love that yeah. dig there we love a dig at a premier league club 
And it's interesting as well because uh, Ralph Ragnick says he has even said that that result against Middlesbrough was the catalyst, is a main catalyst in their downfall uh, of the season. So thank you, thank you very much for that. Um, mine will be, I think it's, it's a toss up really. I think there's two, there's two moments. There's Black Blackpool away where Watmore scores and then everyone goes crazy. Um, and Neil Madison's commentary is absolutely superb on that one. And then Joshy Corbin against Tottenham. What a moment, you know, like a young kid, get, he finds himself in a little pocket of space and absolutely slams on the winner. Um, and to beat them at such a good night at the Riverside, it could be it could be that as well. So I'm going to go Joshy Corbin. You know, Joshy, you deserve this one. I'll give you it. So Josh Corbin is my moment of this season against Tottenham. And it comes to our podcast one, our Borough Breakdown podcast moment of the season. It's a difficult one because we have such a hoot on this podcast throughout the year. We've had some, we've had some really good moments. Um, but what are we going to pick for our favourite one? Uh, Dana, you can go first in this one. Yeah, I'm going to say raising awareness for the uh, MND Association and more neuron disease and raising money for it as well. I think our listeners have been bloody fantastic, honestly, smashing that £2,000 target, which we've since had to raise because they they did so well to get us there. And um, yeah, it's, I think that's just been brilliant. You know, my mum would, my mum was a massive Borough fan and she would have been texting me yesterday saying, oh, the Borough need to pull their socks up and things like that. Um, and she was a very charitable person. So yeah, she would have, Absolutely loved uh, seeing all the donations coming through, and I think that's been brilliant. Okay, so that is yeah, been a great moment, and also we are still raising money for that as well. So if you if you are watching us on YouTube on a different device, uh, we have just put a QR code there. So if you just follow our QR codes, you can donate uh, to our fundraising. We have hit over two thousand uh, pounds this season, but we are still looking to raise a little bit more, and we have packed with the MND next season as well. So we're looking to raise a bit more money there as well um but tom moment of the season what are you gonna go for it's a it's a tough one because it's between two for me it's either us doing our our own quiz at playroom uh <laughs> and you know dana singing we are the east and and stuff was like that that, that and, night uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was that night. <laughs> yeah uh that was a great one but also um the podcast after the united game where i turned into sean dyche uh, it was my birthday weekend, so it feels like after that United game, I was just out since then. I was, you know, I was in red car until five in the morning, and then we were we recorded at like eleven. And God, I was I was rough, but who cared? It, it, it was it was such a good podcast, like good vibes that day because of because uh, uh, of the results and yeah, just great moment. Yeah, I think us going from from online to offline has has been a really good thing this year to, to sell out the quiz and then um to have all the money we've raised for the M and D to have Sam Marcy on at the start of the season where he was going absolutely nowhere and then all of a sudden <laughs> Neil Warnock ships him out um which was which was a good one um having David Wheater on which was good I think obviously. Uh, it's it's kind of known now that we do a lot of transfer review shows with with Craig and Dom at the Gazette, and that's a a lot of fun with those guys. And we were like, oh, Tom, Sammy, I mean, you'll be predictions up there. Um, <laughs> it's just been a great season. I think I can't really pick one. I think we've had we've had so many good moments this year, and hopefully next year we'll we'll have even even more. So. Maybe a cop out answer, but so many good memories in in the process. And I haven't even mentioned like the the growth side of things as well, which has been amazing too. So, um, but a final question, 
And it's probably my favourite question because it's been something new that we've we've introduced to this show this year. Um, I sent Sean Dice there, Tom. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 the shit house island. Shithouse Island has just went down a storm with everyone that listens to the podcast. Um, so let's get the the island up then, because uh, I'll I'll get that up there on our screen if it lets me. There we go. Oh, sorry, oh, <laughs> just took it off go. immediately. <laughs> uh, so Shithouse Island it is a jam packed island, but who is the Shithouse of the year? Um, we've got a lot of people on there. We've got some people from previous seasons as well, so. We could pick our top shit house if we want to, or we could do shit house of the year. Um, Tom, do you want to pick your shit house? Yeah, I can see it down there at the bottom. The Kabura uh, fans shouting <laughs> Ronaldo celebration. Just going back to that Old Trafford game again. It it's just mad that there's going to be about ten thousand Borough fans permanently living rent free in Ronaldo's head now. Uh, I fully believe he, he wakes up at night in cold sweat sometimes, just thinking about all the Borough fans shouting shouting at him every time he missed. So that that was uh, that was brilliant that night. Okay, then, so Bora fans, get your shit house of the year award. Uh, Dana, <laughs> who was your shit house? Pick your shit house, that is some line. Um, I would go the same, you know, I think that was brilliant. Every time that Ronaldo made a mistake in that game, it was just greeted by that, and I thought it was bloody brilliant. So, yeah, I, I, I realised in this moment, actually, that people listening on audio won't actually see this, but we will put up a... Um, picture of the shithouse island on our socials mm. and then there's obviously i think there's lee pelletier deserves a shout his performance he's just a constant shithouse johnny Housen celebrating at the stratford end being a, a leeds fan as well joshy corburn with the ear uh like you know with a cusp, the cup in his ears you know and there's some some great moments on there don't there uh caught like crooks and uh tav but yeah, I think Bora fans do it. I don't know. I think Bora fans at Man United definitely is the shithousery moment of the year. And, you know, we'll keep the island next season. Don't you worry about it. Um, and we'll look to, to grow it once again. But guys, that is it. Thank you very much for joining me. And thank you very much for joining me throughout the season and also the listeners as well. Uh, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks' time uh, with a transfer show where... We're going to break down all of the questions that you've submitted to us uh, over the last week. Um, and then also we'll be working with the Gazette in a few weeks after that just to review uh, some transfer business as well. But right now, it's been a season of highs, a season of lows, changes and directions. But we know for sure the future is very bright on side. This has been the Bora Breakdown podcast for the 2021-2022 season. And that was all your Bora Match Day chatter in a pod. Up the Bora Breakdown. 